Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Fast Money does start right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York's Times Square. I'm Scott Wapner in tonight for Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk, Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. Tonight, stocks sitting near record highs, and one top strategist says there's still too many bears on Wall Street. But that could be a good thing, she'll explain. Plus, the man who called the semi-surge is back, and he says a number of beaten-down Dow stocks could be the next to break out. But we start with the semi-shocker, the chip maker surging more than 3% after Micron said demand for the second half of the year is improving. That's all investors needed to hear today. Check out the moves. Micron, its best day in three years, up double digits. Western Dig, NVIDIA, AMD, Intel, all soaring. So will semis lead the tech sector higher from here? And are they giving the market an all-clear sign, Guy? Welcome back, Scott. Thank you, Guy. We missed you last time. We had Brian. We have you back. What would the show be without that greeting? It's like a musical chairs. (laughs) Answer your question. No, I don't think it gives the market the all clear at all. Let's just break this down quickly. Yeah, the Micron numbers were better than the street was anticipating. Beat on revenue, beat on EPS. But give me a second. DRAM revenue, and Steve knows this, 64% of the company's revenue, down 45% year over year. NAN revenue, 31%, down 25% year over year. So you say, how does the stock rally off of that? Because this time last year, it was a $62 stock. So it just becomes a math problem. The rally today makes sense. We discussed it last night. But to think you have the all clear based on this, I think, is foolish. I think you're having a relief rally. Analysts will catch up. But I think there's going to be another leg down over the next couple of weeks. Because as this guy is- said, you're still way, way off the highs right. for names like Micron and Western Digital, NVIDIA. But see, uh, we're talking NVIDIA double has, NVIDIA has a story. Points. Western Digital has a story. Micron, there's absolutely nothing constructive on the DRAM chart. And to Guy's point, over 60% of revenue from there. Also, sales down 39%. What are we getting so excited about? I think it's a one day off. Sell that space. Take a look at the market next week. I go back to the Evercore note in mid-June where they said, don't count on a semi-comeback in the fourth quarter of 2019. You've got to push that to the second half of 20. And they took semi-price targets and earnings down for Micron and a whole bunch of other names in that space. Maybe that's more the reality than than today. Is that what you're saying? uh, No, I'm not saying that. In fact, not not to pick on Evercore, but probably since that note, you've seen semis are actually, uh, if you look at the SMH, and that's how you're measuring, are you measuring the Philly Sox Index, are up about 6%. And if you look at semis relative to the S&P, they probably bottomed uh, to the S&P kind of third week, fourth week in May. Uh, Now, granted, we we, we still have a a jury out in terms of what is going on in terms of the global economy, a trade war, what the Fed going to do, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, We have certainly, uh, in terms of the bond market, put the Fed out there as being the savior of last resort. Uh, I'll let Marianne Bartels, who's about to come on and give us some some wisdom, talk about the bearish contrarian view. But there's no question um, that if you look at 01 and 07, those were times where the Fed was basically a head fake and it drew people into the market and it was a dangerous time and bears are out there in full force. I actually think that uh, the the semi-trade is a place to be tactically optimistic in the short run. I don't think the structural stuff goes away, uh, but I do think you have a case where we've seen major But not rotation. necessarily Micron. But it, are you picking yeah, Micron? No, I, I think it's fair 
to say that within within semis, you have a, a, a diverse class of companies. And, and I agree that the commoditized version of what they do at Micron is very different than what NVIDIA might do uh, or, or some of the, you know, as I like somebody. But, but what's are, we, are we saying we don't trust Micron's outlook? Their outlook wasn't that great. Their outlook wasn't that great. going to pick up later in the year. Slightly, but not, not. I mean, it was just a fact to me. It was just a fact that analysts were too bearish on this. And I think that's probably the case, you know, market-wide, as we're seeing. But in this particular case, the outlook was better than expected. It still wasn't great. These guys have cited all the numbers that things aren't great. But it is the place. If you think that we're going to get a trade deal and you think that the global economy is mid-cycle, semis are the place to be. And I'm talking semis in general. If you take a semiconductor chart, the SMH or something, and overlay it with PMI, it's almost a perfect match, right? So this is the economy right now. This this is kind of the roots of the economy. So if you're rooting for higher prices, you want to root for the semis. I just didn't see it in micro. Yeah, the problem report. is a lot of these have done really well. So to Tim's point, yeah. when you have that call, that they, they bottomed, and then they've come back already. AMD is up over 60% year to date. So AMD has a story behind it. They could be repla- replacing Intel in the chips in the surface. They could be re- in the next generation uh, Xbox. But the other ones, I don't, I don't really see WDC, Western Dige. I see them growing cloud. I see them growing cloud infrastructure. But I don't see it with a handful of the other. Are you a buyer of Western Dige then? I, I think Western Dig, you could you could uh, be a buyer. I think Nvidia, you could be a buyer. I think Micron. So Micron's you really on, have to a treat on an island. Micron's on an island. Too by dependent itself. on DRAM. It's over sixty percent of. I mean, it's, it's effectively a commodity. I mean, that's basically what you're trading. Is you're trading DRAMs, DRAM prices. Well, it's, I mean, each one of them have a have a little huge bit of a different store. I mean, huge I, investment though in Western Dig into the cloud. So I think that's where people are trying to give that the benefit of the doubt over Micron. You know, Scott, you're asking another question. Are, are semis the place to come in and run in and buy? And, and I, I think for an overall market dynamic, what has been interesting in the last forty eight hours is that certain parts of tech have stopped working. And if you want to point to at least some relative weakness. Of of, say, a Microsoft or an Adobe, uh, and then actually look at the move that you've actually had in semis today. Apple is breaking out. So you're getting different leadership. You're getting rotation. We saw Staples break down. We'll talk about that later in the show. But the bottom line is I, I do think if, if you're looking for a place where market participants are, are, are looking to, and again, they don't have to be all you know, full steam ahead in terms of the global economy back on, enterprise spend, et cetera, et cetera, I think you can be tactical on semis here. What if you're trying to get in, Guy, ahead of what could be positive headlines G20 out of Osaka? I think that's an excellent point. So I think the names that had huge runs that have pulled back, and names like Xilinx we talked about, Lamb Research, I think those make sense. They're still significantly off their all-time highs, which we've probably made some time last year. But quickly, Steve mentioned AMD, and I want to mention it as well. We have the Bitcoin baller on the desk tonight, as you know, to your rights. Right. And we're lucky to Where have Where is he? Yep. <laughs> but I'll say this, and BK can speak to this. AMD is absolutely beating Intel, but there's also sort of an asymmetric tail, and that involves cryptocurrency, specifically Bitcoin. And if you remember, AMD got whacked when Bitcoin was getting whacked. I don't think it's coincidental that as Bitcoin has rallied a couple hundred percent, AMD's basically gone from 18 to 30. Yeah. I mean, if you think there's going to be anything even incrementally positive coming out of Osaka, whether it's, hey, yeah. things were, went fine. They went well. We enjoyed each other at dinner. We're going to continue to talk. Right. Right now, no tariffs. I mean, look at look at stocks even, continue to rip. Don't and they? I think that's part of what got Micron going. They talked about a Huawei and resuming some shipments to that. That was incrementally positive. So, yes, if you think you're going to get something out of Osaka, the G20 meeting that moves the ball forward, then these are the place to, to, to buy. It's just not without risk. Well, I, I would also say that you know, if you think about where semis really began to break down, it was in July of 2018. And if you want to look at the 
SMH as your bogey, you know, somewhere between 110, 112, 113. That's a level that has been running up against. I, I think it'd be very bullish on the charts if you actually started to see this thing break back above that 115 level. That really was a fresh breakout level that we had, you know, call it a couple days before Trump set out on those tweets in early May. All right. Well, even though we are hovering at record highs, the bears haven't left Wall Street just yet. A recent Bank of America survey shows global fund managers are feeling the most bearish since the financial crisis. But our next guest says that's actually a good thing for the market. Let's bring in Marianne Bartels, the head of ETF strategy at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. Too many bears? Yeah, I mean, we're all shocked um, because the <coughs> level of bearishness uh, we can't find until, as you said, back to the financial crisis. And we're nothing like the financial crisis. Um, there's a lot of noise, obviously, um, going on here over in Europe, but the extreme uh, just seems way too much. So from a contrarian basis, that leaves a lot of dry powder as a potential to come into the market. So we're actually calling for a strong summer rally. We have been. Um, we continue to say that the S&P can rally up towards 3,000. What do you make of the fact that you know, staple stocks have been doing well, gold's been doing well, bonds have been doing well? You have to get a rotation out of some of those more defensive areas and into some offense I think for, what the, you for, for your out scenario is, to happen? Yeah, I, I love what, that you pointed that out because it really doesn't make sense, right? How could staples be making a new high, bonds making new low, recent new lows um, in yields, and gold is breaking out, but the dollar's also weakening? Um, part of that, to me, sounds like there are some concerns out there for deflation. A deflationary trade would be gold, bonds, and, of, co of course, cash. I'm not convinced that the move in gold is really defense, more of a concern about the bear market. I think it's more of a deflationary trade. As the markets have rallied, the yield on the S&P is around 2%. The yield around 10-year treasuries is 2%. Our clients still need income. And part, I think, of what's going on in consumer staples is that sector now has good yield. So I'm not sure, it's, again, it's a defensive play. I think that's an income play, and I think there's a deflationary trade, meaning that the market is very confused on where to be. Mm -hmm. um, and again, that gets back to our survey that there's so much uh, bearishness out there. And we, we, we don't see a recession. Uh, yes, we see a slowdown here domestically. We see a slowdown globally, but we're still looking for 3% global GDP growth. Uh, is earnings slowing down? Yes, but they're not negative. So we can't come up with a reason for a recession or for going into a bear market. And the argument that I made is you just had the bear market, and we don't mm -hmm. see clients talking about this at all. You had a bear market in the fourth quarter. And when I talked to our technical analyst, uh, Steve Suttmeyer, I said, has there ever been a time we had two bear markets back to back? And he came back, kind of, you know, clarified it and said, never before in a secular bull market have we had two bear markets back to back. And I trade under um, Bob Farrell for a period of time. And what Bob used to always say is investors always invested based on the last cycle. And I think that's really what's relevant to our survey. They're investing based on us still being in a financial crisis. Meanwhile, we've completely moved out of that. The interesting part is, as Bob said, by the time they figure it all out, it'll be the end of the cycle. Um, and we're nowhere, we're nowhere near that. But, Marianne, so when you say uh, financial crisis, do you mean you know, 2008, 2009? Do, or do you actually mean <clears throat> December? Uh, no, which is the mindset, because, first of all, people, anyone that went through 08, 09, 07 through 09 basically feels like I could see this again in my lifetime, and they trade that way. Uh, and December felt like that. So I'm wondering, is, is that the hangover you're talking about? Well, th 
certainly we're not 08, 09, but the data, the, the, the data that we're quoting right. that, it's, that we've never seen clients this bearish goes all the way back to 08, 09. Yes, I think having a bear market creates a mindset that goes back to very similar to 2008 and 2009. When we talk to our financial advisors, um, even though the market year to date recently was up 17%, clients are not behaving as if the market is up 17%. They're getting a lot of calls, concerns, and worries, obviously China, then Iran. So your price target for the S&P, or your, your target's 2,900? For the year end. So we're not How seeing- How does that work out though? If you expect A lot of volatility. To- you think we're going to have a, a ramp up and then uh, and then a sell off and the sell off is based on what? Well, I'll let you know. But basically, <laughs> I'll let you know well, you, why you, the volatility, because we're only looking for you're looking for a sell off. But you don't know what's going to cause a well, sell off. The exact reason why it sells off, the reason why we're not pricing the market higher is we're only looking for single digit earnings growth rate. So we see we've been forecasting a slowdown in the earnings growth rate. So with the slowdown in the earnings growth rate, we're not sure how much the P.E. multiple can expand. Now, if the 10-year Treasury yield keeps falling, yes, you might wind up with Tina. There is no alternative, and people just chase stocks and expand the multiple. We're just not comfortable doing that. So we think the gains are modest with a lot of volatility. Gotcha. BK? Yeah, so I'm curious how much the demographics play in this, because I got to think that most of the people you're surveying are approaching retirement, baby boomers. They need that income. So it's less about a play on the uh, market or the economy and more about the Federal Reserve (laughs) is going to raise my cost of living and lower what I can earn on savings, so I have to buy staples. So the survey that we're quoting are professional fund managers from around the world. So those are not individual investors. But individual investors, I meet them all the time. They're not generating enough income for sure. And they're trying to find ways of generating income. And generally, they take more risk in trying to find income. Staples are not considered risk uh, because they're considered defensive. I'm I'm just saying, generally, they're not considered as risky. Um, And I looked at them, you know, in the marketplace, there's actually some really nice yields that you can find. Uh, in consumer staples. So I think that's why they're poking around in that space. Not a sector that we have overweight, though. Mm-hmm. Marianne, good to, good to see you. Thanks, Thanks. for being here. It's Marianne Bartels, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. All right, what'd you guys do today? Go well, since we Procter & Gamble quickly, stables, let's just talk. I know Marianne knows this, but you're talking about it. Procter & Gamble trades 23 and a half times next year's numbers with maybe, maybe 11% EPS growth, probably trades at a standard deviation or so higher than its historic multiple. I understand why people are chasing, but I just think it's wrong. So I actually get exactly what she's saying. I mean, it's not ridiculous to think the S&P could trade up to 3,000 and have a fate. I don't know what the reasons would be either. I could cite five and probably none of them would come to fruition. I'm more cautious, though, so maybe sometimes the consensus is right. But what's, what's encouraging for this market is, is that she talked about the, the reach for yield, and what you're seeing is, is a dynamic where, first of all, if you look at high yield, we're basically back to the tights, uh, credit spreads from really the blow-off top of Jan 2018. Uh, if you look at EM duration risk, so people that want to get concerned say people have been pushing out the curve in terms of duration without getting overly technical. Basically, buying longer-term debt where you have more volatility um, is something that people have been doing and something that, frankly, is where people get concerned. But the rotation in the market the last two days tells you people are going back to big cap tech. I think you got to add to cyclicals. I think you got to add to, to your point, people got so over-levered with uh, the, uh, the defensive names or the growthy names. And I think Lenar already set the stage. It was up year, uh, year to date very well. And now you saw everyone uh, bash Lenar, bash the space, and KB has a better report. I think home builders, that's where I've been adding. 
Yeah, I just think you still have to be cautious and level. Home builders, perhaps, right? There's no tariffs on home builders. Yields are low. But in general, I just don't think at the market highs, we're relatively close to the highs with all this uncertainty out there that you have to get over your skis and start buying everything here. So for me, I'm just in a cautious mode. Take a bit of uh, profits off the table. All right, coming up, Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg taking the stage moments ago at the Aspen Ideas Festival. We're going to bring you his comments on everything from Bitcoin to privacy. Plus, check out shares of KB Home. The stock higher after reporting earnings moments ago. The conference call is underway. We are live from Times Square in New York City tonight. And there is much more fast money after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for a buzzkill. General Mills getting slammed today after a not-so-sweet earnings report. The stock dropping more than 4% and weighing on the broader consumer staples sector. Still, the group is not some serious gains this year, as we just mentioned, making it to record highs. But is the party in your pantry coming to <laughs> me? Well, it's a euphemism for something there, Scott. Um, I tell you, the, the party... I didn't write of, it. Well, it looks like there's been a party going it. on in terms of their balance sheet. And, and I think that's really where people got most concerned today. So this is a weak number. Uh, it's, a, it's a company that's certainly been trading aggressively into those numbers, but it's 3.9 uh, times essentially uh, debt to revenue is, is a case where you have enormous, and it's really net 4.1 times leverage for, for you know, a food company where margins are not high. So I think people are getting to a place where, uh, and it's kind of been imputed across the whole sector, but certainly here, these are companies that have managed through acquisitions and M&A to continue to grow and, and bolt on a lot of assets, and frankly, at what cost? I'm not telling you there's a, a major blow up, but the market treated this company um, like that's about to happen, or at least that's a major concern. So one of those acquisitions that they made, though, actually is doing quite well, which is the Blue Buffalo segment of that. Again, pet foods, that's where General Mills has really kind of said this is the future. And look at some of the other ones out there. You've got the Chewy IPO. Uh, there's Pet Med Express. Those are other ways to play this. But we know that people spend money on their pets. Lord knows I do. You have to look at how the market, how the market treated this back in May when Goldman Sachs downgraded the name. They clobbered the stock. Goldman said all the, pro- all the profits and all the returns are going to be short-lived. The stock was decimated. And then it re- rebounded right back. That tells you a lot when you see negative news out there and the stock keeps rebounding. It is a yield play. It is, to Marianne's point, a growth play. It's 3.8% on a yield right now. I think you could still buy go- uh, GIS. Yeah, but what that yield do for you today with all due respect? Get it. You can lose, it. You can lose it one day and then that, some. Yeah. You can lose it one day and then some. But when you see the stock rebound, maybe you want to wait till it bottoms out again because it may have the same thing it did today. All right. For more on General Mills and what's next for the stock, go to tradingnation.cnbc.com. Here's what else is coming up on Fast. Bitcoin. 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 Bitcoin fever is back as it soars toward record highs. And you won't believe how high one top investor thinks the cryptocurrency is headed next. Plus... How did he do that? How did he do that? Well, we're not quite sure. But the man who called the semi-surge says there's three Dow laggards set for a breakout. He'll tell us what they are. There's much more Fast Money right after this. You seek the key. 
But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. The Dow's on track for its best month since January, up 7% and just about 1% away from its all-time high. Well, despite the rally, a few key names have lagged behind. Bob Pisani is breaking down the Dow's winners and losers. Bob. Hi, Scott. Walt Disney is the biggest gainer on the Dow this quarter, up 26% on fire ever since they announced the new bundled products on April 11th. Growth in its cloud business has been powering Microsoft recently. It's the second biggest gainer, up 14%. It helps it's not one of the tech companies getting caught up in all this debate about tech regulation that's ensnared Facebook and Amazon. Walmart, third biggest gainer, up 13%. It is slowly convincing Wall Street it has the tools to effectively compete against Amazon. Online sales were up 37% in the first quarter. Visa up 10% this quarter and just off an historic high on double-digit payments volume growth in most parts of the world. On the other side, disappointing earnings and cautious guidance were the main reasons why some Dow stocks were laggards. The global slowdown hurt several multinationals, including 3M, which dropped after disappointing guidance in April, and semiconductors were also hurt. Intel dropped after they issued disappointing guidance also in April. Walgreens also had disappointing earnings guidance, and ExxonMobil also went into a decline after its earnings report in April. Hey, speaking of Exxon, energy is the biggest sector loser on the quarter, down about 4% but still fueling the gains this month. Back to you, Scott. All right, good stuff, Bob. Thanks so much. That's Bob Pisani down at the New York Stock Exchange. Let's trade it on the desk. Who wants a piece of this? Well, I think Disney. Disney's the one, if you're going to be in the market, that's probably the place to be. They've got multiple different levers that they can pull. They've already said that their business is doing quite well. And also remember, you've got an eSports play there. But in general, look at the difference between Disney and then what's going on with 3M. I think that tells the whole story of this market for the last year. We have effectively been trading in a huge range, two huge companies that you know are affected by the global economy, one more than the other, and 3M looks horrible, looks like death. That's the one I would stay away from. I think energy is really interesting here where you see the XLE is up 10% year to date, but if you go back five years, it's down 6%. So it re- you could make some money on these rebound effects where you have some volatility, get some geopolitical stuff, but you couldn't have scripted a more bullish scenario for energy, and it just really hasn't come to fruition. So I think if you're going to play in it, you can't play long term. You could pick your spots. I would not be an investor in energy long term. I like names not mentioned by Pop Pisani in his life. And thanks for staying live for 500, please, Scott. And the name would be ConocoPhillips. Now, you weren't here last night, but we actually discussed COP saying out of the three big integrated names, it's the cheapest on valuation, held 59, which was a level about six or so months ago. That's the play, up 5% today. I think that's your catch-up trade. Well, guess, it, guess what our call of the day was at halftime today? Conoco, Conoco Phillips, Jinx. 
<laughs> well, they were watching the show yesterday. Yeah. So, so, and if you think energy is at least a place you want to nibble, I think you have to be looking at the dollar. So we've been below the 200-day on the DXY for five straight days, which is the first time we've done this in over a year. Is the dollar dead in its tracks? I'm not sure. The irony, of course, is that as Europe weakens, you'd think that actually the Europe, uh, the, the euro, which is uh, about 60% of this dollar index, would be uh, giving some ground. But uh, you, you can't invest, to me, in energy without a view that the dollar is going to stay weak. And I think that's in the short run. Okay. Our next guest called the semi-surge just last week and now says three Dow laggards are about to break out and lead the pack. Mark Newton of Newton Advisors back to take us off the charts. Hey, Mark. Thanks. Hi, Judd. So let's take a look at three Dow laggards, okay? The Dow being right near all-time highs. These are three stocks I think can come back that are technically attractive. The first one, Nike. We see the breakout, the new multi-year highs, a consolidation. The stock is lagged, is in the bottom quartile of the performance for Q2, but it really is sitting right near all-time highs. So this is the underperformance over the last few months. That's really not all that dramatic. These are the kind of stocks you want to buy when, this, when the market is breaking out to new all-time highs, not ones that are too stretched to the upside or ones that are too much lagged like energy stocks, in my opinion, are still very much underweight. Nike is one. I think it does move up towards 90, get over that. It gets up towards 100 by uh, the early part of August, September. So that's one I'm looking at that I think is attractive. Another one, United Health. Healthcare typically tends to be the best performing sector in June and July the last five years. United Health is one that's just starting to make a comeback. Also, this stock arguably has just exceeded this longer term downtrend that's been intact over the last few months. This is one I like that's a lagger but is starting to show signs of progress. And really, on any pullback like you've seen today, it's right to own the stock. Uh, any move over 250 should send the stock up to right near 290. Uh, that's my second pick. The third will be Intel. This is a playoff, the semiconductor group. We spoke about this last week. Micron made its move today. Look at what Intel did. It moved to new, really, the highs. <coughs> Just today, it moved over the highs of the last six trading days. That is very bullish short-term. Of the three, this is the one near-term that has the most upside, specifically on what it did today. I like Intel to move currently from where it is up at least another 5 or 10% before it finds any sort of resistance. It is a play on the semi-group and, of course, technology making a rebound, which we've seen over the last week. Hey, Mark, with an Intel and with that group, so we, we debated the semis significantly. So is the point, though, that you would be buying a laggard in the semis? And in an Intel, I would argue, and I own it, um, that it's, it's certainly the most diversified, integrated play uh, of all of them. Is, but do you want to grab weakness in a sector that's outperforming right now? Well, you want to grab a stock that's weak, that's starting to Relative. show momentum. And so that's different than just grabbing a pure laggard that's down near its lows. Intel, at this case, did, if you look, I mean, it double-bottomed right near the former lows, and now it's starting to show real momentum on the upside. But, yes, it's well down off its highs that it was a few weeks ago. So, if anything, that's the kind of stock you want to buy, either stocks basing near the highs or ones that have been laggards that are now starting to show momentum on the upside. Gotcha. Mark, thank you. As always, thank you. Mark Newton with Newton Advisors. All right. Nike, United Health, Intel. Will so I here's, him? I love United Health, and I will continue, but I just want to throw this sort of fly in the ointment because that's what we need to do on this show. We need to prepare people. What's tonight and tomorrow night? You're good at that. I'm, I don't have to answer that. I'll tell you what Debate. it is. Thank you. Oh. And who's going to be in the crosshairs at some point Health tonight? Care. 
health care, Tim, you gold mm-hmm. star for you. So I think over the next couple of days, you could see weakness on the back of whatever rhetoric you hear. That said, UNH at 14 times forward earnings, which is at least two standard deviations. Again, to use that phrase, lower than they trade historically is a buy. I, I would think, it, just to pick my poison, I'm allowed to do that, right? Nike versus Under Armour. Under Armour has been the outperformer. I'd rather stay there. It's up 36% year-to-date against Nike, up 11%. They have more triggers, uh, I guess, more growth potential to pull from international. They can grow there, so that's that's uh, an ability. Then they have innovation in sneakers. They're coming out with a sneaker. I shouldn't say that. They're patented. They, they uh, file for a patent on a sneaker that's going to take your blood pressure. Sounds pretty damn cool. It used to be Nike was the innovator in the, in the space. Now it sounds like Under Armour is taking that reins. All right. So Mark actually made a really good point about momentum. So a lot of these stocks, two out of the three of these stocks are just stuck in this range, whereas Intel started to pop above. So we started the show talking about semis. How do you play positive news coming out of the G20? I would look at Intel if you want to make that play because it already has momentum. When you're talking about these big trading ranges, for me, you really have to wait for that momentum to kick in because, to Guy's point, you can get a stray headline and it gets crushed. Yeah. So the key for Nike is, first of all, on the charts, is getting through $85. That's a level that the stock has struggled at. It has broken through once. But I think the valuation, to me, not an issue if, in fact, North America is healthy again and innovation really is, I think, what's going on at Nike. So Nike, a name I'm long, and Nike, a name that I think through multiple cycles here, has found a way to move higher. Gotcha. Okay. Check out Bitcoin mm. going on a wild ride in the last hour or so. It was down like 2000 bucks. Yeah. In just the last couple hours? It, what almost. a disappointment. Yeah. Okay. Wild it's a ride. wild ride. We- the boss is going to tell you what's behind <laughs> that move. Plus, plus, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg on stage at the Aspen Ideas Conference talking privacy and regulation will bring you the comments when Fast Money returns. We're back on Fast Money with an earnings alert on that stock right there, KB Home. And shares are jumping after hours. Let's go to Diana Olick in D.C., who knows exactly why. Diana? (laughs) Yeah, Scott, it was just a strong beat on Q2 for KB. But they just gave kind of mixed guidance going forward on the earnings call. Revenue for Q3 of $1.1 to $1.8 billion, but that's light. Uh, revenues for the full year, 4.45 to 4.6 billion. That is above estimates, so take it or leave it. Now, KB's CEO Jeff Metzger pointed squarely to big growth in community count for the big beat in Q2, especially in California. The company opened 43 new communities, which led to a 15% increase in net new orders. It expanded in the Bay Area and opened its first community in Seattle. Metzger also said Denver was particularly strong, but it wasn't just community count. He also mentioned drumroll mortgage rates and improved affordability. The combination of a decline in mortgage interest rates, along with steady economic growth, high consumer confidence, and favorable demographics, in particular household formation, continues to provide a healthy backdrop for our industry. Now, KB's average selling price in the quarter did fall 8% year-over-year to 367700 but that was mainly due to a shift in the geographic mix of the homes delivered and a changing mix in its West Coast communities. But pricing was actually up on the homes themselves. The cancellation rate, though, as a percentage of orders, improved to 15% from 18%. And this was interesting to me. First-time buyers were 55% of their business, a growing share. As for incentives, which Lennar had talked about, big growth in incentives, they were up slightly on closings for KB, but not on new orders. And they did say, we don't have a heavy incentive model. Scott? All right, Diana, thanks. That's Diana Olick. Grasso, what do you got here? 
So, uh, first of all, all these stocks have been up over 20% year to date. And order, order has jumped by 15%. Uh, yesterday, Lennar, who everyone uh, who got spanked in the market, was reversal in the market. Uh, orders are basically in line. So, I, I think that a lot of this stuff is sort of being, I don't want to say kitchen sink, but when the CEO says that he's blaming uh, tariffs on $500 per home, I think that's a little bit uh, granular and minute for the industry. I don't know what, what he's trying to point at, but lumber prices have come in. That was a, that was a huge headwind. I think that when you look at KBH, <clears throat> it sold off yesterday 7% ahead of this earnings report. I'm staying in it. I've added to them. Okay. Who else? Well, if you think about the XHB, the Home Builders ETF, that's outperformed the S&P by almost 16% since, say, last October. Um, the move we've had in interest rates and, and really the dynamic, which despite you know, reasonable consumer confidence and reasonable you know, numbers on the employment side, um, do these trends get a lot better in the short run? I mean, look, we could see rates go to 175 in the 10-year, but what does that do? Yesterday's new home sales numbers tells you that actually at least the short-term trend is running into some headwinds. So the place that I would be concerned, actually, is Home Depot. We talked about this the other night. That is the company that will likely be hit the most or will have to raise prices the most if we do have tariffs. So if you want to play the space, I would go with what Grasso's been talking about for a while now. Buy just the home builders here. Don't try to play that reno, that reno trade. Yeah, Home Depot, we've been bullish in Home Depot. We mentioned it the other night, as Brian said. And 212 was the high in September. We've rallied back there. If we fail here, you're going to have a major double top, and then people will start talking about 19 times forward earnings being expensive. I'd rather take profits in HD here, maybe buy it back on a breakout. Otherwise, I'm looking to buy it back below $200, which HD. is where I th- I'll, I'll, I'll There you go. It. That's wow. what makes it. That, see, Scott, yeah. that's what makes the markets. I'll take that. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I split them up. I, Again, I look at big box retailers, you know, I look at HD, learn. and I look at you know, their ability to actually control their business, especially from the professional side. I think they've got some margin insulation. I like it. Bang. Coming up, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg speaking right now at the Aspen Ideas Festival. We'll tell you what he said. That has Wall Street a buzz, plus Bitcoin on another wild ride, soaring to just under 14,000 this morning, then dropping really fast this afternoon. More on that when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg speaking out on big tech privacy and regulation concerns at the Aspen Ideas Festival just a little bit ago. And for all those details, let's go out to Julia Borson in Los Angeles. Julia. Well, Scott Mark Zuckerberg, in an interview with a Harvard professor who has consulted with Facebook, talking about the company's efforts to protect the platform from manipulation and saying it's on the government to make the rules to define everything from what is appropriate free speech to what constitutes manipulation on the platform. We don't have the tools to make the Russian government stop. Right, or, or for, you know, I mean, we can defend as best as we can, but our government is the one that has the tools to apply pressure to Russia, not, not us, right? So, you know, one of the mistakes that I worry about is, you know, after 2016, um, when, when the government didn't take a, 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 any kind of counteraction, um, w- the signal that was sent to the world was that, okay, we're open for business. Zuckerberg also explained why Facebook did not pull down a deep fake edited video of Nancy Pelosi, saying that the company is still evaluating what their policy around deep fakes should be. Now, there's a question, though, about whether misinformation 
whether, whether these deep fakes are actually just a completely different category of thing from, from normal kind of false statements overall. And I think that there's a very good case that they are, which is, is what you're saying. And now, when, when we put this into place, when we think through our policies, we need to be very careful. Zuckerberg mentioned a number of different types of regulations he thought would be useful to enact, such as the Honest Ads Act to enforce transparency around advertising. Scott, he also stressed the importance about data portability, making it easy for consumers to bring their data from Facebook to other platforms and from other platforms to Facebook, saying that should be re- regulated as well. It's pretty striking listening to him talk at the, at the top there. It sounded like somebody who wasn't ready to accept responsibility even still for some of the misinformation that has been and may still get out on Facebook. Well, Scott, he definitely seemed to be pointing fingers at the government for not taking strong enough action after it was revealed that there was Russian manipulation of the 2016 presidential election. I think his emphasis on the importance of regulation is really, in a lot of ways, giving up responsibility for really making those tough decisions. And he talked about how a lot of these calls should be regulated country by country, whether it's around speech or whether it's around manipulation. He gave a couple of examples of that. But if he can get different countries to make the laws and he can just play by those rules, uh, then that takes a lot off his plate, for sure. All right, Julia, thank you. That's Julia Borson out in Los Angeles. The conversation is still going on. So what did we what do we make well, of that? I don't want to like Facebook. There, believe there's nothing about it that I want to like. But I'll say this. The people that get hurt by regulation aren't Facebook. The big guys, actually, they want regulation because it squeezes everybody else out. So it's actually good for them. Number one. Number two, this whole crypto thing. Maybe that's a maybe that's a tailwind for them. Good for them. He hasn't. Nobody leaves. I'm told he hasn't addressed Libra at all. And, uh, they, thus probably, far and, in the and they probably won't. Nobody leaves the platform. Advertisers have nowhere to go. The move from 125 to 200, you had a 50% correction on a 162 on huge volume. It's done everything right technically that leads me to believe in the earnings on July 24th or thereabout, we make a run towards all time highs. you accept that, though, his answer yeah, to that I think question? It was ge- I thought it was genius. I thought I actually looked at it the, the opposite of what you looked at it as. I, I think that someone is teaching him how to spin it now. Finally, instead of trying to wear it and have this, this whole, uh, you know, poor little us, we're going to try to figure it out. We're going you know, to, the, the client first, the face, we're not, we're not interested in making money. I think he's doing the right thing, spinning it right on the U.S. government, saying, you guys can't figure it out. Why should we figure it out? You guys have the technology to do it more so than we would. And no one's going anywhere. I tell you what, by the way, the stock's up 43%. The advertisers aren't going anywhere. It's leading the group. But, but the stock has underperformed the group for the last two and a half years during a period where their balance sheet and their profitability has actually exploded. Look, when I hear the guys say, we don't have the tools, that's the same line I've heard him say for the last year and a half when he talks about his own business. He doesn't know how to measure security. He doesn't know what the cost of security is going to be. So to me, there's no question this is one of the most powerful platforms in the world. Advertisers haven't gone running. But to me, how do you explain the stock? I, I don't think the stock has performed well at all. And I think the valuation should be higher. Uh, I looked at it as, as offense. They're going on offense. Yeah. Uh, not offensive, but they're going on offense. And my concern, however, with that is that you're poking the bear, right? They're not exactly the most loved company in Washington at this point. And now you're poking them with a little bit of a stick. So I would be concerned if I was a shareholder. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of Facebook, all the buzz around its new Libra crypto coin sparking an even bigger surge in Bitcoin. The cryptocurrency jumping as much as 18% today before pulling back and trading now just above 
the 12,000 level. Bitcoin still up triple digits this year, and our next guest says it's heading right back to the highs. Let's bring in Michael Morrow. He's the CEO of digital currency trading platform Genesis Capital. Uh, it's good to see you. Uh, that was kind of wild today. Is that just normal? Good day in the life. <laughs> that, that's how we should just accept the way Bitcoin is going to trade? Down like $2,000 in a matter of 15 minutes? I think that um, even the biggest Bitcoin bulls will tell you that a 50%, 60% price up in one week is unhealthy. Um, and volatility obviously kind of cuts both ways. Leverage cuts both ways. And so the fact that you've had that kind of run 50%, 60% in a week and, ha and seeing a 10%, 15% correction in a matter of minutes, um, it's hard for me to say that that's expected and normal, but that's what Bitcoin has done, tend to do. I mean, in any, if any other asset, asset class traded like this in a single day, we'd say, what in the world is that? I don't want to touch that. Are we just accepting if that's the way it's going to be? Well, I tell you, this is exactly how volatility trades. So you, you can 2000 bucks in 15 minutes. Well, it's 2000 it's up 2000 This bucks is how volatility trades. It's up $2,000 overnight. It's up 40% since the weekend. Right. So, again, any, any asset class that's up 40% in, at any period, you know, over any short period of time, that is extreme volatility. But you asked me the other night, you said, hey, BK, everybody's running into this Bitcoin because, it's, uh, because of the safe haven play. And you asked if it's a safe haven, and BK said, no, it's not a safe haven because exactly like this. It is the most volatile asset out there. This is not unusual to have it move in these big big, you know, 10, 10% moves. It's not unusual for this asset. The, the relationship between the, the hype over Libra, I think we can call it hype, and how Bitcoin's going to trade here forward is, is what? I actually think the effect of Facebook Libra on Bitcoin is marginal at best. Uh, Bitcoin was up 200% even before Facebook kind of came out with their Libra announcement. And frankly, it may on the margin kind of invite the, the retail investor who is getting used to the concept of a digital wallet for the first time. And the idea of having a non-sovereign store of value to make payments is a new concept. Um, but institutionally, which are effectively Genesis clients, um, I don't really get the sense that this moves the needle for them one bit. So I I'm curious, Mike, um, you were talking about potentially hitting new or hitting good and close back to the highs, let's call it 20,000, sometime in the next couple months. What are you seeing on your desk? Because you guys are one of the biggest traders out there dealing with institutions. What's the characteristic of the person coming in? What kind of flow are you seeing? Are, is that, you know, last year or in 17, we were asking about the quote-unquote herd. Is that herd here now? My sense is, is that the institutions, from a volume perspective, were up 2x to 3x on volume compared to where we were 12 months ago. We've done about 100 million in the last two days of just pure OTC um, institutions kind of buying. Yes, it is traditional hedge funds. It is some of the crypto asset managers, but sort of a, a new group that I'll kind of highlight, um, relatively small, but we've seen endowments in, in private um, schools start to dip their toes into actually owning the underlying asset class. And so um, I think that uh, as far as the buyer base, it seems to be broadening rather than tightening. Michael, we appreciate your time. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Michael Morrow of Genesis Capital. Let's turn to our crypto Bitcoin baller. <laughs> well, you, you, are, you are actually seeing institutions come in. Michael mentioned pension uh, uh, endowments and schools. If you add this to your, to your portfolio and a 1% to 5% position, that's what I've always said, 1% to 5% position, because it's uncorrelated to everything else, it can actually help out at the portfolio level. And that's what a lot of professional investors are seeing, a lot of professional institutions are seeing. And they are buying that market and they're locking up that supply. Still ahead, Nike racing into earnings on the verge of a correction, and some traders think 
the sell-off could actually get worse. We'll explain ahead. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Nike racing into its earnings report tomorrow on the verge of a correction, down 8% from its April high. And options traders think it's time to bench the stock. Mike Coe is in Massachusetts with options action. Oh, Mike, look, look where he is. <laughs> hey, Good. Scott, how are you? Yeah, so the options market is implying about a 5.1% move on earnings when they report after the close tomorrow. We saw about double the average daily options volume today. Now, people who are looking at the markets will say, well, we saw double the call volume and double the put volume. That doesn't tell you anything except that the largest call trade was actually a sale of 3,400 July 90 calls. The largest put trade was a purchase of 1,100 July 12th expiration 74 puts for 30 cents. So the buyer of those puts is betting that the stock is going to fall below that 74 strike by at least the 30 cents they paid. That would represent about an 11% decline from where the stock was trading when they put that trade on today. So as we take a look at the options market, basically, we're seeing some pretty pessimistic views going into earnings. They've obviously identified that as a catalyst. And I would also add that actually put volume has outpaced puts on average over the course of the last 20 days or so. So apparently they're expecting some of the weakness to continue. All right, Mikey, thank you. Let's get some a comment here. Bench it or buy it? Well, I tell you what, I'm not going to stop. I actually like that. New a lot. segment. I'm yeah. buying. New segment at five. Bench or buy. Bench, bench or it buy. or buy it. Bench huh. it or buy. In other words, bench it means you don't want to own it. I, I'm, yeah. I'm not that quick. Hmm. I'll play this buy it. You're right. I mean, pines, people, people say valuation is expensive, but go back to last quarter and look. Their inventories are under control. They just authorized a new huge stock buyback. I think you buy it into earnings tomorrow, Scott. Right, for more options action, catch the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Up next, we do final trades. It is time for final trades. We go around the horn. Timmy, start us off. So I believe earlier in the show, I, I mentioned I'd take the other side of Guy's Home Depot trade. And, and to me, of all the big box and, again, the specialty retailers, this is the name I want to own. This is the valuation that's not demanding to me at 22, 23 times. He benched it. You benched it. Nice. I yeah. bought it. Let's see how I did that again. Nice. Yeah. BK. You know what the market bench today was the bond, was bonds. Yields went a little bit higher. I happen to think yields are going much lower, so you buy the TLT on this weekend. I thought you said the bong. Yeah, I did. The bong? bong? I, I, I thought bong. it sounded like bonds. He, well, he well, I mean, that, Tim that did might too. be my Boston yeah. accent coming up. It's wicked good. <laughs> right. Grass up. Do you know what I'm not benching? West Rock. W R K. Buy it. Don't bench it. Guy. I'm benching about 225 these days. <laughs> yeah, I am. Uh-huh. Listen, I missed the halftime report That's today, it? but I did see Fast Money last night. COP. That'll get oh, you. Oh, there you go. All right. That does it for us. Catch Fast Money again 5 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. Mad Money with Jim Cramer begins right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.